SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Hello, Scott. Daddy's back. How could you do this to me on national television? We're throwing me a freaking bone here, Scott. Why'd you run out on me? Because you're not quite evil enough. But it's true. You're quasi-evil. You're semi-evil. You're the margarine of evil. You're the Diet Coke of evil. Just one calorie, not evil enough. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi, And with him, as always, is Thrasher. We're continuing our look at the Austin Powers trilogy with the second movie in the series, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. In, uh, in England, it has the funnier title, The Spy Who Shoinked Me, because Shoinked? Uh, yeah, they sort of made up a word. Why would they need to make up a word? I mean, this is actually it's not a word. Um, I mean, this is the country that gave us no sex, please. We're British. Surely they can deal with the word for sex on a movie poster. They felt shag was too risque for whatever reason, so they changed the title. They should have gone borscht belt, made it the spy who stooped me. Who stooped me? Yeah, that would have been the Mel Brooks parody of the Mike Myers parody of the Bond series. Come to think of it, why did Mel Brooks never make do a James Bond spoof movie? That is that, a that's damn good question. That's a missed opportunity. Pardon me, the budget was too high. I don't know. I mean, okay. Well, actually, when he was younger, he did do. Um, uh, um, he co-created Get Smart. Oh, that's true. Maybe, maybe he kind of got so, that out of his system with Get out Smart. Of the system, sure. Um, Anyway, this came out in 99, directed by Jay Roach, produced by Jan Blinken, Jessica Fox, John S. Lyons, Eric McLeod, Demi Moore, Mike Myers, screenplay by Michael McCullers and Mike Myers, based on characters created by Mike Myers, starring Mike Myers, Heather Graham, Michael York, Robert Wagner, Seth Green, Elizabeth Hurley, music by George S. Clinton, cinematography by Yuli Steiger, edited by Deborah Neal Fisher and John Pohl. Off a budget of $33 million, this made $312 million. So by this time, you know, largely due to the success of the uh, the DVD and VHS release, people knew what Austin Powers was. They were hungry for a sequel, <laughs> and they 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 crapped this one out two years after the original. So I think two years is a bit too soon. I I, I prefer the three year in between sequels. It it certainly wouldn't have get, it certainly wouldn't would have given this movie some more time to cook. I mean, we talked about the the original Austin Powers like, was in development for about four years, you can tell that they had lots of time to craft and refine that movie. This movie did not have that luxury, uh, and it does show. Right, no, it does have twice the budget, on the other hand, and you you get some um, better, uh, uh, I don't know, better, not better set pieces, but you get more more production design, more, more of a, a scale to things. And... Um, This is going to be hard to talk about because this is this is one of the first sequels that really, really, really let me down. Fascinating. No, this would be a good conversation. Um, I mean, I had seen bad Star Trek sequels at this <laughs> point, and yeah. uh, you know, we had not seen the Star Wars prequels, which, while they have moments that I think are brilliant overall, you know, I, I, they they left me they left me not wanting more. But this, I had such I had such a good time with the first film. I I was not angry, but I was. We you know. I no, I wasn't angry. I was disappointed leaving mm. this theater. It was a perfect parental disappointment. Um, should be noted the uh, the soundtrack to this film was such a hit, and the, they released a second album, which was sort of a trend in the late '90s, called "More Music from the Motion Picture." 
Oh, yeah, but I had I'd only listened to the first one. I'd never listened to the second one. I had no idea they might be giants to the Dr. Evil theme. I think we'll have to close out the show with that one, but... Um, we just might. Yeah. He's but, Dr. Evil, it probably right. sounds like. Yeah, uh, Beautiful Stranger is uh, from Madonna, was huge at the time. She was in the music video with Austin Powers. Uh, uh, Lenny Kravitz's American Woman was all over the place. That's a and legitimately great cover. It is great. I think arguably better than the original. Um, also, I gotta also say, you, uh, Mel B from Spice Girls doing a solo cover of Word Up. That's also a legitimately good cover. That I I will say I like that better than the original. It's uh, inspired. Also, you have uh, notably a musical number in the film with uh, Dr. Evil and Minnie-Me doing the uh, covering the Will Smith cover Just the Two of Us. Oh, yeah. That has a, a bad rap in it and everything. Oh, that, so. yeah, that scene is... That whole plot line is a very mixed bag. And we will get into that, but first, when did you first see uh, this film, uh, Austin Powers the Spy Who Shagged Me? I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters opening weekend. I did too, I don't remember... You know, I, I'm sure I must have gone with my high school girlfriend at the time, Carrie, and, uh, hi Carrie, if you're listening, you're probably not. Um, and it was... People in the theater, like, laughed themselves until they cried. Like, for whatever reason, people really enjoyed Fat Bastard. Yeah, for better and worse, he was the standout character in this film. Even more so than Mini-Me. I think you're right. Which was a bit strange, because Mini-Me was all over the marketing. And, um, yeah... So, and I have a weird story about this before we start talking about the film. Oh, yeah? That'll surprise listeners, I suppose. But what it is, is, uh... Soundtrack. Okay, it's making notes here. Will it shock so, and horrify us? Uh, it will. So, um, this movie came out on, on DVD. It was another platinum edition with all the good special features and stuff. And at the time, I had gone 50-50 on a Christmas present, uh for myself, meaning I paid for half of it, uh, for a DVD player, which at the time I think cost $300. Now shortly after, the prices of them dropped down to like 150 or something. Oh this yeah, is they it was, went uh, down. Yeah, but I, I was stupid and impatient. And, uh, anyway, so I got one when they were fairly new, and uh, I got this Austin Powers by Shag Me DVD. Is, uh, I got a few DVDs, uh, starts my disgusting collection with, right? And... <laughs> I play it, and it, the DVD player I picked out was one with a good review. It still is being used by my family to this day, I think. It still is holding up. It's a Sony, and uh, that particular Sony had a known issue on some of the drives where uh, the audio and video would not sync correctly. And at the beginning of this movie, you have Elizabeth Hurley speaking in Spanish and in bad dubbing, and I was freaking out, as I tend to do, when things fail, when technology fails me, and I'm trying to impress people, you turn um, green. You got really big. I turned green, got got really big. Um, tried to change the tire of my car, got even greener and bigger. Started uh, <laughs> had some spiked Kool Aid, and uh, you know, basically, I thought, oh no, I have a defective DVD player. Not remembering, it was a scene in the movie where it's supposed to be out of sync. <laughs> so that's what I'll always associate with Austin Powers, a spy who shagged me. A, I made a big hubbub over something that was a non-issue, a repeated theme in my life. But enough about me. Uh, Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me. Marketing for this was all over the place. Well, I think at this point, you know, it, this movie is a victim of the first movie's success. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it has too many resources. I think it has too much star power. It was now something people wanted to be in. So it wasn't, it, there, there were fewer instances of interesting casting. It was more big casting. And I think everyone assumed this was going to be the second part in what would turn out to be a long-running franchise. Yeah, and I, I don't know how much Mike Myers wanted that. I mean, he did have a sequel character before in um, Wayne's World, but it was really one of those things they did pump this movie out so quickly. I think you're right, the script is not as good 
as the first one, but however, I do like how it begins right on the heels of the first one. Yeah, I mean, it could, it, it could be taking place literally seconds after the end of the first one, so it's still Austin and uh, Vanessa Kensington uh, in their hotel, naked, doing the whole holding up props thing. And this is, I hated this at the time, but this is one of the few things about the movie I love now. <clears throat> is that a big thing, and I've complained about this in a lot of action movies, when there's some sort of romantic plot or subplot, and then in the sequel it has to be completely undone. In the opening minute of this movie, uh, Vanessa Kensington turns out to be a fembot, she tries to kill Austin Powers, she explodes, and then he gets a call from Basil Exposition warning him that Felicity's, or that Vanessa Kensington is a fembot, Possibly was always a fembot that they always knew, but they didn't have time to explain it to him. And then Austin immediately, oh no, the love of my life is dead. I'm single, baby! And then it cuts yeah. into another uh, opening credit sequence where it's him running around a resort. Uh, like Naked. Hitting, yeah, naked, hitting on people. Like, and I think... I this love opening... how gleefully they undo the yeah. romantic and emotional development of the character in that opening minute. And it's a shame, because in, in one way, I, I can sense her frustration, because um, Elizabeth Hurley as Vanessa Kensington did such a great job, and to lose her. On the other hand, that is in the tradition of the James Bond films, and probably yeah, yeah, the, and probably the Flint back. films as well. You have a different woman, and, and you have a different uh, group of women in each film, right? So, mm, yeah. um, it, it's also in tradition of James Bond, you, although they, they don't do this part in Austin Powers exactly, but um, you have two women, one who... James Bond seduces, but it ends up being, like, a, a spy for the bad guys. And then you have, like, the good woman, right? You have the good woman and the evil woman. Yeah. And so that's kind of, like, what they're playing on with this at the beginning. Um, and this opening credit sequence, it's funny, but I don't like it as much as, like, the street uh, parade stuff from the first one. Well, it's 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 in this resort, so it's in a small, controlled environment. I think one of the things that works better in the first film's opening credit sequence is that it's it's out of doors. It's in an environment that no one really has any control over. It makes everything seem so much more spontaneous and fun. Yeah, this one, it's kind of, um, and we'll see this theme throughout, it's kind of a repeat of a gag from the first one with all the naked stuff with them at the very end. Oh, yeah. And so you're doing a lot of the same ideas. Although I do like the big glass elevator reminds me of the elevator James Bond fights with the guy in in uh, in one of the early James one of the Sean Connery James Bond movies. And that's probably that intention. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, but meanwhile, you know, Doctor Evil has returned, and he goes against uh, Scott on the Jerry Springer show. Another thing that dates the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. And and it's pretty much and it, it pretty much is just every beat of a Jerry Springer show segment self destructing, but with Doctor Evil and uh, Seth Green. Correct. Um, it, it just it, it, speaking it, of it falls very flat for me at this point. Jerry Springer references had been completely played out, and I believe this was also after the Ringmaster, the Jerry Springer movie. I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, also, what about speaking about things that fall flat? What about things that fall short? Mini me. Okay, so th this this is something that was actually kind of cool. So this is so we're living in a post uh, Island of Doctor Moreau world where something that was all over the advertising for that and that supposedly happened because Brando insisted upon it. There was a character in that movie. Brando played the titular Doctor Moreau. He was always followed around by this little person who was presumably a failed clone of Dr. Moreau. And so they play with that in this movie. Uh, Dr. Evil's organization gets his DNA, and they try to make a clone of him to outdo, uh, to outdo Scott Evil. And what they create is, is Mini-Me, who is, like, what is he's one... He's, he's just as evil as Dr. Evil, but that evil is compressed into one-eighth the body mass, and the joke is that makes Mini-Me psychopathically evil. Because it's so condensed. Yeah, and um, Mini-Me was, along with Fat Bastard, you know, the kind of breakout new characters 
They had well, mini me dolls you could buy at the stores. I mean, this this is what so it's played by the late Vern Troyer, but this yeah. is what catapulted Vern Troyer to to a to a, a strange kind of mega stardom, and he went on to do a lot of things after this. Of course, he continued to work with Mike Myers. He played a character in The Love Guru. He regrettably was on I think several reality shows, including The Surreal Life. But I th- I think my favorite thing he ever did. In the uh, Bruce Campbell period action series, uh, Jack of All Trades, where Bruce Campbell plays America's first secret agent in the years during the Napoleonic Wars, Vern Troyer plays Napoleon Bonaparte, and it is a master stroke of casting. That's pretty good. Um, Yeah, you know, it's really um, a shame that Vern Troyer appears it might have been a suicide from he had dangerously high super high alcohol levels he had drug he problems didn't, he, he had didn't a, take good care of himself unfortunately no um he had a sex tape uh was it a thing really huh. yeah mm-hmm. um maybe 10 years ago um i wouldn't recommend watching it but if you can find you know it's out there if you know where to look that's your thing um but yeah i mean we had not had a uh a, a drawer factor be this famous since uh, Warwick Davis doing Willow in the Leprechaun movies. Yeah, and then before him, it was it was Billy Barty. Uh, th- oh, there were, way before him, sure. Yeah, there are there are very few actors of that stature who kind of get that that level of fame. And like in in another world, if Vern Troyer could have shepherded his career better, yeah. he could have been the one playing Tyrion Lannister. I, I think you're right. Um, if he uh, that, his that's a good better, point, right? And yeah. and that. Game of Thrones had happened a few years earlier, um, regardless of, of his death. Because I guess that's the thing. Like I don't because I, like Peter, Peter Dinklage, I think that's kind of the key difference. Is Peter Dinklage was always striving for to, to demonstrate his dramatic acting chops. Vern Troyer seemed to be content to just do comedic roles. I don't think I ever seen him in a serious role. It was all comedic, include including a, a guest spot on the UPN sitcom Shasta McNasty. Shasta McNasty, which played. I believe back to back with um, Star Trek Voyager, the secret, or was it the Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer? Oh, yeah, pro- it probably did at one point in that same block in that brief year of that fantastic. I would love for that show to come on DVD, but that's just me. Um, we could do a we should do a podcast about awful period comedies <laughs> and start with that. I've been torn with ideas for, like, standalone spinoff podcasts to either do, like, The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer or do one on the Star Wars Droids and Ewoks cartoons. Oh, I love the Droids cartoon. That was such a good show. <laughs> I, I have rewatched some episodes good recently. Song. That holds up surprisingly well. Yeah, even though C-3PO's head looks a bit strange. Um, okay, so something else we But, yeah, you know, about. Vern... Oh, yes? Yeah. All right, so, oh, I was so, going to say, Vern Troyer... Had a featured part as uh, one of the main stuntmen in the Schwarzenegger uh, Christmas comedy Jingle All the Way. Oh, you're right. In the part with the uh, with the the Santa Claus sort of warehouse. So someone else we're gonna need to talk about. Um, Hello, Graham as the new partner slash love interest Felicity Shagwell. I think she does a great job, except yeah, played by Heather Graham. To, she does not seem to know what movie she's in because I guess the, the problem is is she plays the, what what works so well with Vanessa Kensington and really with everybody in the first Austin Powers is they they never they never winked at you. They were playing these parody characters, but they were playing them perfectly straight. Heather Graham plays Felicity Shagwell in this frustratingly winky way. Yeah, and the character there's less to the character, you know. That you can say a lot of things about the first Austin Powers, but it had it was kind of slow paced or whatever. But you know, it, it had heart, and and this one, it's she's also I just take offense that she's so ditzy. She's not as strong as a a female character. She doesn't hold her own, and um, maybe it's just the way it was written, I guess. Because Heather Graham's like been she was very funny in the Hanover films uh, in Boogie Nights. She was oh, yeah. great in um, season two of comedy. Twin Peaks. Yeah, it, but she can also do drama as well. Like in the in the second half of season two of Twin Peaks, she's the main romantic interest, and she's um, re- really uh, does a really moving performance. And it, it just feels like kind of kind of a waste and uh, unfortunate. Well, beyond um, that, it, it also represents a missed opportunity because 
and this is another misstep of the film, is time travel gets involved, and Austin Powers uh, travels back in time to the 60s. So right off the bat, a big part of what makes the character work is that he's a man out of time. Well, you've now just put him back in his own element. Uh... And yeah. that drains away a lot of a lot of the a lot of the the power of this of this film. But like, if you're going to send him back to the '60s, and you're going to team him up with a very sort of '60s mod type spy, especially if it's going to be an American spy, because she is a CIA uh, agent, um, what he what he or who he should be teamed up with is a liberated woman who is very much part of the 1960s women's movement. Having mm, Austin Powers' sure, old-fashioned yeah. old but playful misogyny playing off a woman who is in command of her own destiny and her own sexuality, you could do so much with that character dynamic. And this movie ignores that opportunity in every turn. Right, you could play off the... Uh the 70s feminism as a, or the 60s feminism as opposed to the modern day feminism in the first one. Yeah, that would have been smarter. Uh, it's it's too bad we we don't get that though, but with um mini me, you know, and this kind of goes with a lot of the humor in this and we mentioned in the first film you have a lot of clever uh, cleverly written jokes and and stuff. In this one it, it's a lot of kicks to the crotch and all this stuff with mini me. Yeah, there's a lot there's which a lot It's of- funny, but they hit that note over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun watching him be a complete and absolute bastard. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of physical stuff in this movie that gets like really, really uncomfortable to watch. And like, the, I think the scene that that elicited a unending audible groans is is okay. So the character of Fat Bastard, played by a third character, played by Mike Myers. Mike Myers, yeah, he's like this Scottish terrorist uh, who is. If Mike it's Myers not Scottish, it's crap. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is, it is that Scottish voice. It's the, it, he only has one Scottish voice, and and that's it. Um, just a little bit with some anger behind it, and he always wears his tartan. He's always got his bagpipes, um, and he's wearing this like they make him look as hideous as possible. In addition to him being in this fat suit, there, there's a uh, there's a scene where he's had sex with Felicity Shagwell, uh, <laughs> uh, and like him just in bed. They make it as grotesque as they possibly can. Oh, yeah, to the point where like. She has to get this like tracer probe from him that he swallowed. So when he leans over in bed, she has to reach into his shit covered ass. Yeah. To pull this probe out. And it's like you're you're going too far. Like I I, I could like it's just, it's like once once you have someone putting their hand in actual fecal matter and we can see it, it stops being funny and starts being gross. Like this is this is the type of thing that, that really is much better if you play it off camera. Right, and um, again, you know, pushing the envelope of the PG-13 rating more than the first film. Um, I mean, you're basically getting a fisting scene in a PG-13 film, <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for for what it's worth. And and the fat bastard character, uh, you're right, his voice is just is pretty much the same voice that Mike Myers used uh, as the father in my, um... So I Married an Ex-Murderer? Th- th- thank you. So I Married an Ex-Murderer. I cannot think of the title of that film without thinking of My Stepmother is an Alien or whatever. But... <laughs> or Serial Mom. Serial, yeah, Serial Mom, or but My Teacher also, is an Alien. But it's also yeah. the voice he would later use for Shrek. It's also the voice he used for... Yes, the, yeah, It's not you're Scottish, right. it's crap store guy. It's also the voice he used for Phil McCracken's Scottish Therapist. But he he gets good mileage out of the voice, and it's a good. Uh, I mean, I've never been to Scotland, but I think it's a, an amusing voice. No, it's, it it works. It's just that it's do it's doing too much work. Yeah, you you feel a bit like uh, Eddie Murphy in the movie The Clumps or something, right? Where he does too many of the characters. Mm, yeah, it's like we get it. Your talent, or like they have. Um, Jerry Lewis did a movie, The Family Jewels, where he plays eight family members. Oh, that's right. Ugh, and that's not one of his better ones, but it's like, I, I get it, you're talented, but you don't need to play every part. Like, this is... like I think what it is, is Fat Bastard should be the the henchman that dies halfway through the movie. Like, he right. should have been used more sparingly, but I feel like Myers or Jay Roach or somebody was way too in love with the character. I also get I also get a feeling. So the first Austin Powers seemed very tightly scripted to me. 
a lot of this movie seems improvised, and a lot of that comes from mm. Fat Bastard. There are moments where I really feel like it's just Mike Myers making shit up as Fat Bastard. And it just yeah. slows the movie down because we got to give Mike Myers room to do his improv, and then we got to edit around it. Like particularly the whole like get in my belly, that whole scene. Right. Like, I think it's funny that he wants to eat another one of uh, of Doctor <laughs> Evil's henchmen. That, that's true. Yeah, and that just goes on for fucking ever. It does, and in a way, it's a bit prophetic of how a lot of comedies now are so improv focused and not as tightly scripted. I think to their detriment, and that I mean improv comedy. It's funny, it's great, but there, there's something I prefer about a tightly, like a tightly written Woody Allen script, like Annie Hall or something, yeah. where like it's 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 finely crafted and smart, and it when you do improv, especially, it's just so easy to go just for the laugh, and you can go to the laugh and have a little bit more there. And this um, this movie is not unfunny. I, I laughed quite a few times, but at the same time, it's like. You start with something so smart, and then like it's like the sequel is the for dummies version. So, something I gotta I gotta ask uh, of you: Do you yeah. think the time travel is too fantastical a conceit for this movie? Because that it breaks it for me. Because James Bond has never traveled through time, so introducing that would be like introducing aliens. Like it's too out there and too divergent from what this movie is trying to parody. I no, I don't think it's too fantastical, but I think my problem with it, and you sort of hinted at it earlier, Austin Powers in the first movie, he's in the '90s, modern day at the time, right, out yep. of his element. And back in time, he's in his element. And like the only way you could have that work is if you had a sidekick that was from the '90s that went back in time with him, and then you have someone else out of the element as well. I mean, think about. Um, Beverly Hills Cop. Why? In fact, the first movie series we covered on on the old sequel cast show. Um, why does that work? Because a guy from a cop from Detroit is in Beverly Hills, totally out of his element. If they did a Beverly Hills Cop sequel where Axel F was in Detroit, would that work? No. It would also have a confusing title. But yeah, you, you bring up a yeah. good point. <laughs> if if Austin Powers was acting as the native guide for a modern spy in the past, yeah. again. That's that's a premise you could get some mileage out of, but they don't they don't do it. No. Oh, another person I want to talk about just because the, the the performance really stuck with me. So Kristen Johnston, who's an amazing comic actress that I feel has not had as big of a career as she deserves. She plays the parody Russian spy character with a perfect on the nose Bond girl name of Ivana Humpalot. Yes, this is, this is the worst example of the direction. Not and the direction of the actress not knowing what movie she's in. She's a flat out cartoon. Her acts. I mean, she she's play she's playing it like a smoky voiced Natasha Fatal from Rocky and Bullwinkle. She she takes me out of this movie. It's like she wandered in from a from an SNL sketch. You're right. It it doesn't quite work. I mean, we recently talked about. Um her doing Wilma in um, Flintstones and Rock, uh, Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah, she's good in that. She She's good in that. In this, you know, she tries, but there's just not much of the character. In it, and it, it is just overdone. It goes for the obvious thing. Like, Ivana Humpelot is... Uh, it, it's a lazy joke. Like, think of some of the real James Bond girl names. Plenty O'Toole, right? I need a good head. <laughs> That's right. And now like, I know it's not that far off. Name from Casino Royale, but Melody Broadchest. <laughs> that <laughs> Broadchest sounds like it could be a legitimate name. I don't well, know. That, that sounds like a character from a uh, from a PG Woodhouse novella. Yeah. By the so, way, folks, uh, read some PG Woodhouse. You're missing out. That's right. But it's. It, you're right, it is a good example of stuff that doesn't quite work in here, and it's, uh, I don't know, man, like, it's, it, this is a disappointing drop-down from, um, from the original, and like we mentioned before, and it's a big thing on the soundtrack, a big thing of the movie, you have, um, the, the rap number between Dr. Evil and Mini-Me. Yeah, so, so, so it's, it's, making, it's making fun of a popular song at the time, which no one remembers anymore. 
Yeah, it was a song. It was a song that Will Smith wrote about Jaden Smith. Uh, you and mm-hmm. I. It's a song about fatherhood and his relationship with his son. So yeah, conceit of this movie is that all, is that Doctor Evil does get arrested for his crimes against humanity and goes to prison, but then it turns into this like weird like. Again, they don't know what they're parodying. With Doctor Evil, they try to parody like modern prison movies and like gang stuff, and like you know he like a, he presumably has joined the Crips because he's got the blue headband. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and like on the one hand, it is kind of funny just because yeah, a Bond a Bond villain doing a rap number. There is something absurd and funny about that, but that it's in the middle of him like fully immersed in this like prison culture. I don't, it's too much. It is trying to do too many things. I the mean, scene the goes thing, on for a long time, too. Like, yeah, they do the whole goddamn it. song. Yeah. It, although that although being it is said, kind of worth it just to hear the Dr. Evil voice say, Share my love to Oprah and Maya Angelou. Hearing Maya Angelou yeah. name-checked is quite a delight. It is, it is uh, a delight. And, you know, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate... Even though the character of Mini Me is a bit annoying, Vern Troyer um, really commits himself to the he character being unlikable. What? He doesn't phone it in. I mean, he he has no, this yeah, perfect yeah. "I'm a little mischievous imp" sort of attitude that really that that saves the character even when he's being a complete psychopath. Right. I mean, it's he. I mean, I'm sure when he got the part, he realized you know this could be my meal ticket, and and he did it, and it's quite um it's quite effective even if they kind of play the same joke over and over again um speaking of which you have a lot of we mentioned a lot of um poop humor there is the stuff with planting the thing in fat bastard's ass but there also is the thing where fat bastard just like shits everywhere and he's like oh there's a piece of corn in it yeah, he kind of go, he kind of runs through again. This feels like Mike Myers was just improvising different things for him to say, and they decided to leave right. it all in. He makes the turtle. He talks about a turtle head. You know, he talks about yeah. everybody loving the smell of their own brand, and it just it, it does not <laughs> end. It is it is exhausting, and I should not feel exhausted coming out of this movie. You're right, and it's um. God, I think he was still. Well, no, he was dead at this point. I'm saying Chris Farley could have done something with that part, but. So another thing that's really weird is like so when when Doctor Evil eventually travels back in time, a big running gag is when he's in the '60s. He tries to use his knowledge of the '90s to like to his advantage, and that should work. But I think, but the joke is. His knowledge of the of '90s pop culture are only the worst examples of '90s pop culture, which should yeah. make the joke even better. But it just makes me realize how culturally awful the '90s are. Like that scene where he's on a piano playing an acoustic version of "What If God Was One of Us." By uh. that point, we had already figured out how hollow and dumb that song was. If that had happened two years earlier. It would have been a brilliant revelation, but instead, like, yeah, we know. Please cut away from this scene. I mean, at least with the yeah, I, I agree. The '90s were kind of a vapid time. I prefer the '90s or the '80s to the '90s, and I think one reason is in the '80s, you you still had some of that influence with with disco, with sort of over the top um, dress and uh, some interesting. You know, still had a mixture of like real instruments and, and, synthes- and synthesizers, and it was an interesting, uh, you had punk getting more popular in the 80s, you know, had interesting things. In the 90s, it just seems like everything had to be PG-13 and antiseptic, and, like, anything fun was kind of sucked out of it. Yeah, it was that ironic detachment that, that uh-huh. hurt a lot of things, unfortunately, and led to the worst dandruff shampoo commercial ever. Uh, which one was that? The, he's got dandruff! It's brilliantly parodied on the Ben Stiller show. There's the the whole com- the whole commercial is a guy and his friend are at this like street market picking out fruit, and the the guy wants to like hit on this one woman who's there, and his best his his quirky best friend keeps like commenting on everything in this really annoying way. So there's a parody of that on the Ben Stiller show where. It's pretty much the straight commercial. I think the annoying best friend, I think all his dialogue is straight up taken from the commercial. I don't think they change anything. 
but essentially all the other, the man and the woman, get fed up with him being a, de- a detached, ironic 90s asshole and just leave him at the farmer's market. The, I think of a 90s, uh, typical 90s shampoo commercial as herbal essences, where it's like, use this and you'll have an, women will orgasm in the shower. Oh yeah, and then that same marketing tactic I think was used for Axe Body Spray. Axe Body Spray, right, and also um, Diet Coke Break. Oh, God. Marty his Diet Coke break. Uh, brilliantly parodied on The Critic. Check out Shermometer Critiquing The Critic. Another yeah. wonderful show from the Hipster Goblin podcasting. Are we an association? What are we? Well, Hipster Goblin does not exist as a company and as an entity anymore. So oh. I might think of doing another one. That, that That's an off-mic discussion. Um, oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. so what so, what do you think Go of the on. whole angle of Austin Powers having his mojo stolen from his cryogenically preserved self? Uh, sort of like you hinted at with other things. A good idea, bad execution. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's kind of that, that thing you see him do in a lot of movies, like uh, Spider-Man 2, or it's, you know, it, it, you establish a, a heroic character and all the cool things he can do, and the problem is, well, you've made him a god. And by making him a god, nothing can be challenging again. So how do we uh, put some angst, put some drama into this character? Rather than coming up with a good adversary, you just decide to take away his powers. Yeah, you just take away his powers. And it's... It, they could have had something there. They don't quite nail the landing. And it, it, it's too bad. Like, I don't think it's a terrible idea... No, it's it's not a it's not a bad idea, but there's there's like the the special effect for it is awful. Just that syringe full of like gel and like yeah. little Lucky Charms pieces. I feel like if it's gonna look like anything, it should look like a lava lamp or a psychedelic freak. Mm, yeah, sure, sure. But I feel like the only good thing that comes from that subplot is when Doctor Evil drinks some of the mojo and becomes a Lothario for no reason. And like his 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 romantic subplot with Frau Farbissina is actually quite <laughs> hilarious. Sure, and it all also leads to the reveal that Scott Evil is not his son from an egg donor and his preserved sperm. He is straight up the illegitimate son of Doctor <laughs> Evil and Frau Farbissina, which is kind of a neat turn. Uh, I like seeing that played out. But the thing, the other thing that that. that is that it comes to nothing because how does how does Austin get his mojo back? He doesn't get the cylinder back and reinject him. He just believes in himself, and suddenly, boom, he's fine, as as if nothing had ever happened. It's not really an earned moment. I mean, also at the end of the film, I think you have a bit of like the the same problem that Superman, the motion picture, had, where characters are dead, and then you want to go back in time to save them. Well, at least in this movie, it's established that time travel is a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although that's, I that's do, something. I do like, I do like Austin Powers meeting himself and like the time traveling dialogue. I did find that delightful. I'm a real, of course, I'm a real sucker uh, for that. But also, like whenever whenever Austin sees himself, they're always like, "Oh, we're sexy beasts." Yeah, you think they wanted to say "sexy bitch," but they they would lose their PG thirteen rating. I don't know if bitch would have made you lose a PG-13 rating, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a take where they're like, you're a sexy bitch, baby, yeah! Well, well, like, se- sexy beast, I think, is a better line and is a more reflects the character more. But at the same time, every time I see that scene, it's like you, I just get this sense, oh, they really, really wanted to say sexy bitch. Possibly. Could be. Um, and, you know, if you're going to introduce the concept of him going back in time and meeting himself... Like, make that earlier in the film. Like, that's some, like if you had somehow, through a time paradox, had two Austins transport themselves to the 1960s, like, that could have been something. Yeah, let him get up to some hijinks, too. Like you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, have fun with it. Yeah. You know Austin Powers would, like, would try to have sex with the same woman twice through time travel at the same time. And maybe he's realizing that his other self has been there before. Like, the woman is like, ah, oh, this is sort of familiar. I can't quite place it. I've got a rest stop. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it it le- it leaves me wanting more, but in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm like you don't feel anything initially when Felicity dies. Yeah, there's really no there's really no aside from like the father son tension with Scott Evil. There really is no there's no emotional core in this movie. There's no emotion accord, little dramatic state, so that that makes it more of a, more, you know, more of like a flat 
cartoon. It, it feels almost more like a Mad Magazine parody of Austin Powers than actually you, Austin Powers. You know, that's it. Because like the first, yeah. uh, the first movie brilliantly pairs like '60s spy stuff. This movie doesn't really parody anything so much as it parodies the first movie, and that's that's just death. Parodying a parody is death. In fact, it makes me want to go back and see what Mad Magazine did with Austin Powers, because that's so... Um, <laughs> to make fun of a comedy film. I, I'm pretty sure I have their parody of the first one. We'll have to see if I have their parody of The Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah, but I'm sure they would have done it the way they've always done movie parodies. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this movie is... Not great. It has a lot of funny moments. It, um, it, it seems to be the one they played on TV the most. Seems I'm sure like. it was easy to get the rights to. Sure, it was easy to get the rights to. I bet, um, I'm kind of curious how they did different gags in the TV version. I don't think you could have gotten away with all the shit stuff, although maybe you could have. Yeah, I've never seen the TV cut. Now I wonder. Right. Um, so yeah, I give a sequel no to Austin Powers' This Spy You Shag Me. It, it, it. It breaks my heart, but I got I got to agree with you. Like I'm I am honestly surprised there. I mean, re regardless of the box office, I'm honestly surprised there was another movie in this it ever came out of this series. I would feel like after this, Myers would have been tired of it and wouldn't do any more sequels. I bet he was tired of it, but I think they backed up the money truck or something. I don't know. Like we'll, we'll talk about that next week. But it's uh, I it's suppose a good we'll point. Have to. So, um, yeah, I think we've discussed all there is to talk about with Spy Who Shagged Me. So, uh, let's do Pitch a Sequel. Did you have a sequel in mind? If you could do any sequel to this, what would it be? Well, I feel like... So, I pitched, I pitched a prequel last time in the 60s. I feel like if Austin Powers is going to work, it needs to... Right. It still needs to be a parody of a particular type of, of spy yeah. film. So, what I want to do is, since, since we have time travel... Uh, I want to do uh, I want to do uh, Austin Powers uh, from uh, from from Russia with lust and Ooh, the, okay. the premise is going to be do so the premise is uh, an old Soviet doomsday weapon is uncovered and it's going to explode and anyone who knows how this doomsday weapon works. Uh, is is dead and like nobody knows how to disarm it. So the only way to save the day is for Austin Powers to travel back in time into the 1980s, find the so the super weapon as it's being built uh, at the height of the Cold War, and basically sort of sabotage it so that they they can disarm it in the future and save the world. And so we have Austin Powers again, a man out of time, but now he's in a parody of ultra serious. Cold War, uh, U.S. against Russia type movies, and hmm. it will involve him boxing an Ivan Drago. If I was to do one, I would. Oh, sorry, what was that? Was like, and it will involve him at one point boxing an Ivan Drago character. I there see. will be a lot um, of Rocky Four parodies in this, and some Red Dawn. Yeah, good call. Um, if I was to do one, it would be... I'm trying to stay away from time travel because they already did that in this movie. Um, have Austin Powers in, in present day go against, I think, go against like a cyber... Do some virtual reality, like cyber criminal stuff. Huh. And, and there would be a scene where Austin Powers would be sort of... To trick him, the bad guy... He might just be called like cyber cop or, or something like that. Um, makes a VR environment that uh, pleases Austin's every desire. Hmm. So would it, would it involve like virtual reality clones of every woman that's been his love interest from every movie? Like, yeah, you you would do some like some some orgy with a lot of cameos, not just people from other movies, but but or from the other Austin Powers movies, but also just. Um, models from different time periods and you might have like modern day Farrah Fawcett or like all this it would be a very weird scene and uh, the kind of joke at the end of the movie is he, Austin and uh, Basil Exposition and everyone tracks down Cybercop 
and it turns out he is just a teenager living in his mom's basement. So the final fight scene is in the person's basement. And it'll just be awesome powers beating the shit out of a child. Yes, as the mother like yells at them, and Austin is trying to flirt with his mom, but at the same time is beating the shit out of her son. But the child and the mother will both be played by Mike Myers? No. Oh, damn. Yeah, no, that'd be too much, but it'd be called... Austin Powers, uh, The Great Cyber Swing. <laughs> really not like alt.austin.powers? <laughs> oh, making newsgroup jokes, I see. Uh, no. Uh, Austin Powers with a Z in Powers. Austin Powers, Fan Friction. That's not bad. Austin 3.0. <laughs> 3.0. No, 3.0 was perfect. Or or lawnmower shag. The lawn. Yeah, that could be something. Or uh, shaggyosity. The the net minus Sandra Bullock. VR. I'm a sexy beast, baby. No, that doesn't. VRVD. VRVD. Yeah. <laughs> Doom, but modded for an Austin Powers level. There would be a there would be a Doom sequence in it, certainly. Um, he could be attacked by sexy beasts. That's right. Okay, enough of that. On to what you're watching. Um, I saw something the other day. It was a romantic comedy that was one of the most mediocre ones I've seen in years. It is. Oh dear. I, I feel pretty, starring Amy Schumer. Which is that the one where she's dating the sports medicine guy, or am I thinking of a different one? No, that one's pretty good. Um, I don't remember the name of that one. This one is a movie with. Um, it, it's weird because they. I think they fail with the premise of the movie, and that made it harder for me to swallow. It is a film where a character is, um, she's, she's overweight, she's not happy about her looks, and uh, at a gym cycling class, the, the bike falls apart, she hits her head, and when she wakes up, she looks in the mirror and thinks she's a really sexy model and is a lot super confident. Hmm. But when she looks in the mirror, she just looks like herself. That they never do the quantum leap effect. They never do the quantum leap effect, which they should. That, I don't know. I feel like it's funnier if it's unearned confidence and you don't understand their mental process. But the problem is, at the end of this film, they try to make it like this very heartwarming monologue about how she's always looked like that. And, you know, she bumps her head again at the end, and then she's like, I've always looked like this and felt like this, but women should stand up and be who they are. So, so if her, you're fat, her brain own damage. that. Her brain damage runs on Flintstone rules. Yeah, it does. And it's, um... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it was very funny. It was kind of lazy. I think it was nice that she had kind of a relationship with, um... I think Rory Scovel plays the love interest, and they actually play that pretty straight, which I think kind of works, but uh, some of it too is sort of like a satire of her working at a fashion company, and um, David Tell has, uh, I think he's he's good in the one sort of funny sequence of the film where cool. she goes on a date, and it's, I don't know if you've ever seen these, but, and uh, you see this more in the South, but um, the bar will have a wet t-shirt contest. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never I've never been to one myself, but I am aware of establishments that do such things. I've been to one and it was painfully um, lame. I thought, but uh, you weren't angry; you were disappointed. Yeah, partially because the one I went to was fixed, and the wife of the co-owner got all you know stacked the votes. You you need to take that to your uh, your state's district attorney. <laughs> I think so. Um, what was also sort of skeezy about... I mean, the whole thing, I think, is a bit skeezy, but the one I went to had a thing. They had a crappy camera up in the rafters filming it, and then they were selling copies of it on videotape. <laughs> so, so if you want to see out-of-focus, uh, you know, mostly 
uh, okay-looking women having wet t-shirts, and you might see a, a, a nipple poke through there. Well, well they're um, hoping some billionaires who don't know the internet video, exists are going to be in the audience. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the other thing, too. It's like, okay. Uh, but, it, um, but, yeah, I feel pretty. Was not terribly impressed with it. I mean, Amy Schumer goes for it, but I thought, for instance, um, the one you mentioned she did with, with Bill Hader was a better movie. I'm going to pull up that name so I can recommend that to our listeners. Um, Trainwreck. I, I, did, I did quite enjoy that one. Trainwreck, and she actually wrote that one, but this one, you know, since then she has not written a movie she's been in, I think that's to her detriment. Um, she does have that TV show on Comedy Central, but I don't know if that's over and done with at this point. It is, inciting Amy Schumer. Nope, nope, still around. Okay, that's Oh, surprising. it's still in production. I didn't know that, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Unless Wikipedia is incorrect, which could be the case. But, um, like, I Feel Pretty was not great. Uh, the other one, you know, I, I think she was even better in the movie Snatch, the one she did with Goldie Hawn, which, while not great, has, um, has a better premise. Hmm. I Feel Pretty is just tired. I wasn't thrilled with it. Um, what's something you've seen? Uh, I saw something pretty special. Uh, so on the uh, there's a there's a horror streaming platform called Shudder. It's you know it's all it's all yeah, horror, yeah. dark fantasy. So they heard good things. They did something really awesome. They brought back uh, horror host Joe Bob Briggs, played by the immortal John Bloom. They brought him back to host an event they called the Last Drive-In, which was mm. a 24-hour marathon, a live marathon, most presumably wow. live, I suspect yeah. it was pre-recorded, of, sure. uh, of Joe Bob Briggs' curated uh, horror classics. And it was amazing. I'm about two-thirds of the way through the marathon now. They put it up so you can watch the movies at your own pace after the 24-hour live stream. It is so awesome to see Joe Bob Briggs in front of a camera hosting horror movies again. He is an so, amazing host. So how often do they interrupt the movie with his sort of bits? Uh... Actually, it's funny, since they're not on a network and they don't have to deal with commercial breaks, it's whenever Joe Bob feels like it. So there are some huh. movies where, like, 40 minutes will pass before an interruption, but then you might get an interruption every five minutes. Essentially, any time there is a pivotal, That's great. very interesting scene, he interrupts the movie to give his commentary, and it's really sharp commentary. Yeah, it did so well. They're doing it, um, they're going to bring him back for it next year. Yeah. Uh, actually, supposedly they're going to try to do it before this year is out. Whoa! Okay. Uh, it, yeah, it makes was, sense for Halloween. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It was it was so big that it apparently crashed their servers. That's always a sign of success online. That's oh uh, yeah. That's really something. And you know, Shutter is actually owned by uh, AMC, really? which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess some I, of their American movie classics had to go somewhere because they weren't going on AMC. No. Um, so that's quite interesting. It looks like they're, uh, they have some exclusives on their service, and uh, yeah, it looks like they're even developing some original content, like you mentioned. Yeah, they've got some, like, some series, some movies. They also, they've done other curated things before. It's very common, like every month they'll get someone from some actor or director or writer from the world of horror will like curate some movies, and they'll have like their picks as something you can watch, which is pretty cool. When they do that, do they have the guy sort of give little speeches about it, or is it just like... You, usually it's just what they've picked. I, I see. Every now and then they'll have like an introduction from that person. But yeah, like, I love I, it when... I think this last drive-in was the first time they really leaned all in having the host. That's great. Um, I'm glad Shudder is, is doing well. There's been a lot of streaming services that have kind of gone tits up. Uh, I was saddened when CISO got shuttered. Oh, yeah. Which was the comedy one, because they had a lot of, uh, they had Dark Place, they had a lot of good BBC material, and the entire run of Monty Python on there. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff so, is criminally hard to find. It is, although I think Monty, most of Monty Python's stuff is back on Netflix now, if uh, memory serves. Um, but no, good uh, bully on them. Bully for you, Shudder. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'll, And the driving I'm, totals just as insightful as ever. Yeah. And complete. That's great. Fantastic. Um, was out of the horror mar marathon of you seen them all, or like which ones stood out as being um, good? About half of them I'd seen yeah. before, and half of them were classics that for whatever reason I never got around to seeing. So I saw Sleepaway Camp for the first time. Uh, I saw oh, the Vampire first one. Lovers for the first time. Oh, I saw 
uh, Rabid for the first time, the Cronenberg film. Oh, that's his old one, yeah. Yeah, it's one of his earliest films. It's really good. Good, I haven't seen that one. Um, but of course, there's also cool. classics like Reanimator, not so classics like Tourist Trap, which are, which is still a really fun movie, as bizarre as it is. Well, you have to have that mix, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all worth seeing, either because they're so good, so bad, or so unique. They showed a lot... Whoa, I'm, I'm looking at... Oh, never mind. I looked at Wikipedia, and it showed all the movies shown by Joe Bob Briggs. I'm like, wait a second, like that's ever. a lot for one night. Yeah. <laughs> um, funny. Cool. Yeah, because his, his old show on TNT was Monster Vision, right? Yeah, he did. He did that for. I think he did that twice because I think like they brought him like he like the show went off the air. Then like a year and a half later, they brought him back for another handful of seasons. But and and was it Joe Bob Briggs? Hmm? Oh, did, did he do a show called Trailer Park as well? Yeah, uh, there's someone else. He, he, both he and John Davis uh, had have done shows called Trailer Park. He also did a bad movie show on the Movie Channel in the early days of cable. Wow, okay. Fantastic. And he's done Joe Bob live. Like, he's, like, screened movies as Joe uh-huh. Bob, which is pretty damn that, cool. That's pretty awesome. Well, that's, that's really cool. Um, and, 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 like, I just love his character. Like, he's not a zombie, a monster, a witch. He's just, like, his character is, he's just a guy from Texas who really knows a lot about horror movies. Yeah, if you like horror movie hosts, you should track down the episode of Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast, where they talked to um, Sven Gulli. Oh, is it Sven actually, or son of Sven Gulli? He goes by Sven Gulli now, but he is son of Sven Gulli. Oh, yes. The original... Uh, I don't know if the original Sven Gulli has passed or not, has died or not, but the the new one he talked about, he was just, like, a fan that, like, connected with the original Sven Gulli through mail and then eventually become the prodigal son and, like, moved just to work with him on his show and stuff. For no money, a really interesting story, um, or little money, or if that. So yeah. Um, so um, next week we'll be talking about Austin Powers in Goldmember, which came out a whopping three years after this one. So they really were putting their sequels out quite a lot. Um, <laughs> it was like a factory back in those days. An Austin Powers factory, baby. Yeah. Get this pistons my- pumping. Get my, uh, get my, get my tick attacking, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. shagadelic. I had mentioned last episode I was going to talk about why I'm not really doing an Austin Powers impression. Okay, One, go for it. I really feel only Mike Myers can really do that voice. Two, every, to every generation, there was a comedic performance so amazing that douchebags ruin it. And Austin Powers was that thing. Everybody just doing Yeah Baby, Shagadelic, brilliantly parodied by David Brent on one of the Office Christmas specials. Um, although after this movie, it was Fat Bastard was the one that everybody was doing. Right. And I just, I don't want to be that douchebag, so I'm just going to do my own bad British voice for Austin Powers. Speaking of which, we have a scene to read from Austin Powers. We do. So, uh... Do you want to do Austin or you do Basil? Um, actually, would you like to switch it up or, or do you want to just yeah? Let's switch it. On Basil? Let's switch it up. Yeah. So this so this is a scene. This is the scene where after this where Basil Exposition has attempted to explain the premise of time travel to Austin. Right. Okay. So, uh, and my Austin powers is awful. So bear with me as you've listened to me try to do it so far. So here we go. Wait a tick, Basil, if I travel back to 1969 and I was frozen in 1967, presumably I could go back and visit my frozen self. But, if I'm still frozen in 1967, how could I have been unfold in the 90s and traveled back to... Oh no, I'm afraid I've gone cross-eyed. I suggest you don't worry about these things and just enjoy yourself. And then uh, Basil turns to the camera... And that goes for you all, too. Yes. And that's... That really breaks it, that winking that winking to the camera. They're like, we've introduced a ridiculous premise. You shouldn't take... 
what we have introduced into this movie seriously. I fucking hate that. Even in a comedy, mm. you're undercutting your own movie. Yeah, in fact, um... The best thing to do is not pay attention to it. Uh, right, no, I, um, I've heard a lot of people say that's why they don't like Roger Moore as James Bond, because he winks to the camera so damn much. Yeah, so do the pigeons. Uh, <laughs> yes, and they do double takes as well. I mean, the only oh, thing that works about terrible that scene, scene is the logic of time travel making Austin go cross-eyed, and the fact that it's Michael York telling the audience to just relax. Yeah, I think, you know, had they cut it two lines earlier, that would have been good, and that, you know, his convoluted discussion of time travel, uh, I think is very funny. Or, or better um, yet, it, let Michael York improvise an explanation that goes on for 20 minutes, but keep it in the movie. Right. So if you go backward in time, Austin Powers, and then go forward in time, you might be in the middle of time. And that's no time to be at all. <laughs> oh, I've gone cross on again. I, I guess my Austin Powers sounds like Bernard Cribbins. That's my problem. <laughs>